0: Fly around, little green peas from the ground, buttermilk biscuits nice and brown, bring it to Tennessee farm table, butter beans peas, beets and chard, chickens running in the yard, catfish frying in that lard, bring it to Tennessee farm Table, cast on skillets, good and hot. Watch it steam and crack and pop. Cornbread bacon in that stove. Bring it to Tennessee Farm. Table, pick them baiters, good and wrap. Drop black and candy stripes. Look at them loading down those vines. Bring it to Tennessee Farm. Table Bring it to Tennessee Farm Table
1: Welcome to the Tennessee Farm Table Podcast and Broadcast, a show that is dedicated to the people of the state of Tennessee who produce, prepare, and preserve food and agriculture, often with that mountain south Appalachian Flair. And on occasion, I just might have a guest from our neighbors from surrounding states here in the Southeast. This is your hostess and producer, Amy Campbell. The theme song that you just heard was sung and produced by East Tennessee's own Emmy Sunshine. She's from Madisonville, Tennessee. And today, we are sitting at the table with a Chattanooga chairmaker. My guest today is Tyler Rogers from Chattanooga, Tennessee. He makes handmade wooden chairs, the old-style way with hand tools. His chairs are as beautiful as they are functional. He also shares his maternal grandmother's recipe for squash casserole. Her name was Wylene Lewis. A real neat visit with a fine crafts person. In Fred Sossman's Potluck Radio series, he shares Tennessee ham smoking man Alan Benton's Red Eye Gravy Recipe. Thank you so much for tuning in today by podcast or radio. I really, really appreciate your good company today. Tyler Rogers invited me to come to his house to see his wood shop and chair making setup. This man is not a fast-moving or fast-talking individual. You won't find him checking his phone every five minutes for the next text or social media something or other. He moves at a slower pace on purpose. After dealing in commercial real estate and checking that phone every five minutes, he has switched his living to fine woodworking and chair-making. Tyler is a thoughtful, earnest man, a very talented craftsperson through the medium of woodworking, and he and his wife are outdoors sorts of people and they love bluegrass music and are parents to a young son named Huckleberry. Let's go visit Tyler right now. Can you describe the kind of chairs that you make, Tyler?
2: I make a, well, it's a ladder back chair. Um, there's, there's really two types of chairs, ladder backs and Windsors. And so, the one I make's a ladder back. Um, some people call it a post and rung. It's got these four posts and 12 rungs, little cross pieces on them, and a woven seat. So the chair's assembled and then the seat's put on once the, chair's, the frame of the chair's assembled. Um, and then it's got some uh, horizontal slats in the back to rest on. So it's just simple ladder back chair. You, Most people have sat in them their whole lives and didn't even know it.
1: I'm sad to say I've seen fewer through the years. Right. And I love your chair. I just sat in it, y'all. <laughs> and it's so comfortable. It's springy seat, and the back, it's just curved to hold your back just right.
2: Yeah, It. I play around with that a bit, um, but I think it's different for everyone mm-hmm. but yeah I've, I've gotten a good curve on it
1: yeah <laughs> and it's a pretty thing yeah so how'd you get into making chairs
2: well I got into carpentry when my wife and I met uh, we were guiding on the Okoe River and uh, we we moved around for the first few years we'd go out west in the winter out to Montana and Colorado and once we decided to stay in Chattanooga, um, I needed a job, so I got on with a remodeling company, tearing off old decks and tearing out old drywall. And that's when I started using wood-specific tools, but mostly power tools. Um, as time went on, I, I would change companies, and I got on with a certain company over in Hickson, and. We were fortunate enough to have a wood shop and um, I got to work under a master carpenter and uh, that's when my woodworking started to take off a bit more. But over that time I started learning about green woodworking, which is taking the wood right from the tree, especially a, a newly fallen tree. and beginning to uh manipulate it when it's still green as opposed to uh going to the store and buying kiln dried wood and and with the green wood working comes uh, the ability to use hand tools cuz the green wood hadn't cured yet so it's uh, a little bit easier on the on the body and the blades to to shave off and to to shape so um over time uh many books I I think I saw on PBS, Roy Underhill's show. He had Peter be on, and they've all written so much over the years. And and, um, Drew Langster has a book called Country Woodcraft. Um, These guys really brought Greenwood working back into the scene in the 70s and 80s. And I I got the book, Make a Chair from a Tree, not too long ago. And that was written by Jenny Alexander. And... uh, they, they just released the, uh, the third edition. So long story short, I got into green woodworking. You, you can buy these tools at a, any antique store and sharpen them up like the draw knives you're looking at or any of these spoke shaves over here. So it's, it's a there's a low overhead to get into it and uh, it's all done by hand. And so there's a lot of, when you're done at the end of the day and you're sore, uh, a lot of good feelings come with that. <laughs> I, I started dabbling with bowls and spoons a few years ago. I, I once our son was born, I went into the office for a bit, tried to tried to put the craft away, but didn't last long. And you know, my my loving family'd get me a, a weekend at John C. Campbell, and I'd get back into the craft and think, ah, oh, here here it is again, and my love for for woodworking and wood carving. So the pandemic hit and a lot of what I did in an office and my interactions with people went out the window. So I I was sitting around and I just thought, man, I'd love to make things again. And chairs was on my list. So um, I was fortunate enough to to get this uh, book called Make a Chair from a Tree. A good intro for anyone who wants to make furniture. Uh, This one in particular, a chair. And yeah, so I I told I told my wife, hey, I'm gonna start making chairs, she said, go for it. <laughs>
0: That's good.
1: Yeah. I'm gonna have to check that book out.
2: You can get it from the Lost Art Press up in Kentucky. Okay. A guy named Christopher Schwartz. He uh Jenny, the the person who wrote the book passed away, I believe, three or four years ago. And along with Peter Follinsby, they were working on getting the third edition out,
0: Hmm.
2: which is, it's just some updates on it. Mm -hmm. So uh, they, they released it, I believe this summer before then it was a relic hard to find. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of us have the same mindset. We, we want this information out there. This is something people need to, to have the ability to do
3: Yeah,
2: and not to, not to rant in my folks house growing up. They'd always say, oh, your grandfather made this piece of furniture. It's like, really? Jeez, you know, beautiful, elegant piece of furniture. Oh, your other grandfather made this. Or I think most of the generation-born Depression years, I feel like we're some of the last people to have that skill set in terms of everyone having that skill set, where it'd be making furniture or making, growing your own food. You grew up on the farm and we've just slowly crept away from that. So I think in the chair-making world, we're, a lot of us are are itching to teach chairs like this for the weekender who wants to make their own dining room set Mm -hmm. and then maybe teach their their kids how to do it. And like I've said, you know, incredibly inexpensive to get into. You're not having to go out and buy a $3,000 table saw or $5,000 skill saw so yeah I always hang my head a bit when I'm talking to an old fella who tells me about their dad who would sit on the porch and carve a figure with their hands or make a broom out of a broom corn or mm-hmm. make a flute and, and I always say well can you do that and they say no they never taught me and it's just it's just one of those um lost arts Mm -hmm. it'll it'll be gone gone with time and 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 i my father always had the foxfire books good and he's he's still got them i I think i have them actually Mm -hmm. Uh, and i always thumbed through them when i was a kid i I don't think i ever um anything ever caught my attention but um Mm -hmm. I've always appreciated that and what they did yeah. and I think that was their intention
1: mm-hmm.
2: and um, Foxfire is still going strong it is. up in Clayton so
1: it's a great thing it
2: is it is and and, and I, I just you know with your show Amy and with anybody out there with our, our same ideas it's, it's just stuff we need to document write the book teach the class keep it Keep it moving.
1: Amen. Yeah. And your little boy, he's four now. And I love that he's just learning all these things from you.
2: He's itching uh-huh. to do it. Uh, he likes the idea that I make chairs. And I, I, uh, I'm starting to read on how to navigate teaching a young person mm-hmm. to use sharp tools so uh, <laughs> this here's a Sloyd knife. Um, it, it's nothing fancy. It's just a sharp. It, it's just got a straight blade, which is good for carving. Yeah. So there, when I say Sloyd woodworking, I, I'm talking, you know, maybe mainly knives and hook knives, and maybe an adz, mm-hmm. which is a, a an axe used for carving bowls. There are programs out there to teach kids to use these tools, and these knives are. Incredibly sharp so i'm I'd love to get into that one day uh yeah. teach our youth because that's where you get them hooked young and 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 they don't they don't have to wait till they're thirty five like me to get get into chair making or start selling them they can mm-hmm. they can um you know go down that road a lot sooner, yeah yeah.
1: You are listening to the Tennessee Farm Table, and our guest today is Tyler Rogers from Chattanooga, Tennessee, a Chattanooga chairmaker. He works this wood all by hand, and it is a fine craft that he practices, the old-timey way with hand tools. It's a special treat to sit in one of his chairs. They're comfortable as they are beautiful. In the second part of this interview, we talk about old tools wood he works with and i also asked tyler to share with us one of he and his family's favorite recipes he shares his maternal grandmother's recipe for squash casserole her name was wiling lewis i saw a couple of instagram posts that you were using an old tool was it your granddad
2: it was my my father's granddad
1: oh man
2: yeah what and, kind of uh, tool? It's called a fro. It's made to, it's got It's got many uses. I think the more traditional one is to make cedar, cedar shingles.
1: Okay, Yeah. So you take the
2: cross cut, you just line this tool up. It has a long blade and, and knock it and it breaks off the cedar. But I use it to uh, split and rive my wood. Riving is a controlled split. And I have a riving break over there. So I I line it up and hit it with a mallet and I can pry the wood and watch where the grain is going, you know, hope it's a clean break. And if not, I can adjust it to where I can keep the grain integrity intact. So, nevertheless, my great-grandfather made that. I think I put it on Instagram from a tractor spring. And my dad said, tractors don't have springs. It's a truck spring. And he he was one of the old-timers that had a farm uh, down in Marietta, Georgia. That's where my dad grew up and he had a couple hundred acres and with that came the blacksmithing skills, the carpentry skills, just all the skills that people carried with him. So if he needed a fro, he ran and got an old scrap metal and heat it up, bend it, sharpen it, that's that. So I made that post because the beauty of making chairs all day and having this quiet head is you get to reflect on things. And when my dad gave it to me, I was acquiring tools, and he said, I got something for you, and he went and pulled it out, and I wouldn't say it didn't mean much then, but you just don't think about it as much until you're using it one day, and you think, my ancestor made this, and I'm sure it's going to last a couple hundred years after me. So yeah, it's just uh, an ornate object that uh, you can slow down and appreciate and my my great grandfather made it i've got a few more of his old farm equipment here that you just can't get rid of i think it's called a mule scoop over there it's for digging ditches and an old plow back there but uh i think we would have gotten along fine
1: i'm sure of it <laughs> so the wood you use is it all from around here where you live or it you- is okay
2: i've i've had um I've had good fortune the past year. My in-laws have some property up on the Cumberland Plateau, up near, just north of Dunlap. Oh, yeah. And um, we'll go in the woods there and there'll be freshly fallen trees. And I'll I'll harvest those. Cool. Uh, Mostly red oak. Mm -hmm. I I like red oak. Some people hate it. But uh, red oak and maple and uh, cherry, all great. Yeah. Uh, chair trees, but um, and then I've had a couple arborists say, "Hey, I'm cutting down a red oak or a hickory. Mm-hmm. Come and get what you want, and um, it's free to me, and they don't have to haul it off. So it it's it works quite well, and I can preserve it more or less.
1: That's wonderful. Yeah,
2: I, I'm hoping to build those relationships over the years, just to where. I don't ever have to cut a tree down, mm-hmm. you don't want mm-hmm. to go out and cut one down for the sake of it. Yeah. Yeah, we, we cut so many down anyways, so. In terms of a recipe, I've got a good one. It's squash casserole, and um, it came from my grandmother I'm on my mom's side. And essentially, I'll walk you through it.
1: That'd be great.
2: Go ahead and make cornbread because it's a it's a key ingredient. So uh, and you know cornbread you can make it days and freeze it. Um, I use about three pounds of squash and a a, a wide onion and go ahead and boil that to where it, it just breaks down. And then I, I get a a good large casserole dish and. Put it all in there and, and mash it up, throw some butter in, and and I don't ever measure anything, so uh, I don't have any of that for you. Throw a couple eggs in, and then crumble the cornbread until you get a good consistency. Quit that. <laughs> and, um, I don't think I missing anything, salt and pepper to taste, and um, I said butter, and and then give a nice uh, top layer of cornbread with with butter on top of that, and let it bake. And and I I have a hard time um, saying that anything about that's bad for you. It's a pretty healthy dish. Some people put cheese in it. I've I've never enjoyed that. Um, so yeah, squash casserole, my grandmother's. It's it's quite simple. We we make it. Uh, not as much for us then you got to eat it for about a week you you know you don't want to resent an amazing family dish but we'll make it for thanksgiving christmas and and such
1: (laughs) your grandmother on your mother's side's name for with the squash casserole
2: wylene lewis
1: that is a wonderful name You are listening to the Tennessee Farm Table, and our guest today has been Tyler Rogers of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Tyler is a chairmaker. He works his wood all by hand, and it is a fine craft that he practices the old-time way with hand tools. It is a special treat to sit in one of his chairs, and they're comfortable as they are beautiful. You can find him easily on Instagram under chairmaker. And I've also placed a link to his Instagram page and pictures of him and his chairs, plus the podcast of this show on my website, tennesseefarmtable.com. And just a note, Tyler does not advertise on this show. Up next is Fred Sossman's Potluck Radio Series. He shares ham-smokin' Alan Benton from Tennessee's Red Eye Gravy Recipe.
3: It may be the world's simplest gravy. The most elemental version involves two ingredients and no tricky thickening. Water and what's left in a black iron skillet after country ham is fried are all it takes to make red-eye gravy. No salt, no seasoning, no herbs, just leavings and liquid, and maybe a little leftover coffee. Writer and food historian John Edgerton called red-eye gravy a divine elixir. Researching red-eye yields some questionable stories about the name of the dish. Andrew Jackson's alleged observation about the red-eyes of a hungover cook are among them. Like a lot of our food history, though, we'll probably never know who named red-eye gravy Odds are the moniker caught on because of the rich color that results when country ham, cured the right way for many months, meets hot black iron. Unlike many gravy recipes, there's not a speck of flour in red eye. Cooks don't expect it to be thick and they know in the bowl on the table it will separate into two-toned layers. Grease and water don't mix. The simplicity of red-eye gravy reflects its origins in poverty. Other than the ham itself, the monetary investment is negligible. And with its highly concentrated flavor, a little red-eye gravy goes a long way. Today's recipe is a bit of a different take on red-eye. It was given to me by my friend Alan Benton, owner of Benton's Smoky Mountain Country Hams in Madisonville, Tennessee. You pour a quarter cup of brewed coffee into an iron skillet and sprinkle in one tablespoon of brown sugar. On medium heat, fry two or three slices of country ham for about two or three minutes per side. Remove the ham and add a third cup more coffee to the skillet Increase the heat to medium-high and stir, loosening the browned particles from the bottom of the skillet. Reduce the liquid to the point where you added the second measurement of coffee. Serve your red-eye gravy over biscuits or grits. For the Tennessee Farm Table, I'm Fred Saussman. This is Tyler Rogers
2: chairmaker from Chattanooga, Tennessee, and you're listening to the Tennessee Farm Table.
1: Thank you so much for joining us here today at the Tennessee Farm Table podcast and broadcast. It has been an honor to have your good company. We always love to hear from you on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, or through the website tennesseefarmtable.com. I'd sure love to hear from you and swap some recipes and stories.